This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption and logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money. All in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or your computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating a podcast today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. And when you want to take conversations with your fans to the next level, Q&A and polls are the best way to get them talking. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I love engaging with my audience with the Q&A and the polls. And I also love the fact that I can upload my video podcast on Spotify because I know my audience love watching it sometimes when they're traveling on their commute. I highly recommend you give it a try and you can download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com forward slash podcasters to get started. I didn't know it at the time, but I only had a 20% chance of survival. They took a blood test, sent me home, and then the next day I got a call to say, you've got to come back to the hospital. And it was then that they told me I had cancer. It was a very extreme, very aggressive form of, of cancer. I was vomiting every day for about three months. I had shingles, I had fevers. It just, the list goes on and on and on. It's, it's brutal, absolutely brutal. We don't look after our health that much, but in those moments, the one, number one thing you would wish you had is your health. Mm, absolutely. And I guess, you know, you talk around manifestation, you talk about affirmations, and like you said, 10 years ago, I don't really know about those kind no. of things. No. I remember standing in front of my bathroom mirror and saying, keep strong, keep really strong. I'm just constantly confirming that to myself because I knew what was coming down the path and it was going to be really, really challenging. As much as purpose is really important, I'm sure there were days that you wanted to give up. I was so hell-bent on getting back the life that I wanted to have that nothing was going to stop me until. Lauren, welcome to Millennial Mind. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here. I really, really am grateful that you're here. And after hearing about your story, I just had to have you on. So I want to start with kind of your childhood and going into uni and what you did from there. Yeah, so I guess my story really started about 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. I was just a few weeks away from my final law school exams. 
Okay. When I came down with some really unusual symptoms, I had pains in my neck, and then I had sort of night sweats and really extreme lethargy and was really out of sorts and for about a week couldn't really get out of bed. And so I was fretting that I wouldn't be able to get back to law school and finish my studies. And unfortunately, my health got so bad that we had to be, uh, we had to call for an ambulance and I was taken to A&E. Um, and in A&E, they were trying to diagnose what might be wrong with me. Is it glandular fever? Is it scarlet fever? What are these symptoms that that I'm displaying? Right. Um, and what do we do with, do with me? So they took a blood test, sent me home. And then the next day I got a call to say, you've got to come back to the hospital. And it was then that they told me I had cancer. So within 24 hours thinking, I'm not gonna be able to get to, you know, finish my studies to being told I had cancer. And that was a start of two years of very extreme treatment. You know, my life completely changed and was t turned upside down immediately. Oh my gosh, so how old were you at the time? So I was 23. And you were going through your final law school exam. That's right, yeah. And what other symptoms did you have? And what made you call that ambulance? I just, I got so, so unwell um, that we just didn't know what to do for the best. And so all of those symptoms are quite unusual. Okay. And so that was quite a red flag in itself. And at the hospital, you know, thank goodness they took that blood test because that showed that I had acute myeloid leukemia a very aggressive form of leukemia um, and it needed treatment immediately. So I was hospitalized that next day um, and taken into protective isolation in hospital. And for the next six weeks, I couldn't leave the hospital room and they started treatment right away, which was chemotherapy. And so for months I had chemotherapy and then total body irradiation and then eventually a stem cell transplant from my sister, Sarah, who saved my life. It was a miracle that she was a perfect match as a, as a sister that, um, yeah, without her, you know, I might not be here today. So it was a very extreme, very aggressive form of, of cancer. And it meant that treatment had to be very quick um, and very intensive in, in how it was delivered. And how long were you feeling these symptoms before you called the ambulance that day? So it was that week, really, of just things getting so bad um, that, you know, again, thank goodness that we, we got me into A&E. And a week is crazy, isn't it? Yeah. So the fact that this is such an aggressive form of cancer, for you to only feel the symptoms for one week. Yeah. And for them to be so bad as well, and then they can identify it. Yeah. I know your symptoms were quite unusual, mm. but going through, you know, your final exams at law school, I'm sure you must have been quite stressed and I don't know how your body reacts to stress, but for me, I do generally lose a lot of weight if I'm stressed and I get very anxious and I can't sleep that much mm. and my body hurts. And there's so many subsequent things that happen because you like have a lack of sleep or you're stressed. And often I think so many of us don't go to the doctor and I'm very guilty of that. I actually recently was forced to go to the doctor because I say like similar to you, I couldn't get out of bed one day. And that forced me to go. Yeah. And then, you know, now I feel like I'm okay, but they're like, you need to come and do this. And I'm like, yeah, 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 I'll make the time, I'll make the time. I still haven't done it. Yeah. Because we, we don't look after our health that much. But in those moments, the one, number one thing you would wish you had is your health. Right? Mm, absolutely. And I guess, at what point do you kind of start to recognize your symptoms or something wrong? I know you said it was in that week, but was there yeah. anything prior to that? I think for me, it was such a trigger because 
I was and still am such a fit and healthy person, mm. but it was so out of character. Right. And you know, that was a big red flag. In the weeks prior to that, I had pains in my neck, okay. but again, was not attributing that to anything in particular. It's just something that was there. So it was the pains in the neck and then accumulating in that week of the night sweats, the lethargy, the fever, um, and it just being something so out of character and making me so unwell mm. that it was, you know, it's time to call for an ambulance here. This is this is not going to get better. What's really hard, I presume, is that at such a young age, at any age, to hear that word mm. for a lot of people is really difficult. And when I've heard it for people that I love, it's almost such a shock. You don't really know how to process it. And for you that day to go home after you had a blood test and still not know what's going on, but then to be isolated for six weeks and you weren't allowed to see anyone, not even your family. Just my mum, my dad, my sister could come in, but they couldn't yeah. touch me. They had to wear face masks and plastic aprons and gloves for fear of um, passing an infection to me. Um, so yes, my family were there, but I was distant from them even at that time. That. It was really hard, um, but I think my mindset was this is something I'm going to confront and I'm going to deal with um, and sort of deal with it as methodically as I could. And so really trained my mindset in those early days to be as strong as I possibly could. And I remember when my hair started to fall out and I had very long, blonde, beautiful hair. Um, I remember standing in front of my bathroom mirror and saying, keep strong, keep really strong. I'm um, just constantly confirming that to myself because I knew what was coming down the path and it was gonna be really, really challenging. So it was that positive mindset, those positive affirmations, although affirmations and, and manifestations, those weren't really in the general vocabulary 10 years ago, yeah, they weren't. but that's, a sort of a behavior that I instilled in myself. And then doing things to try and take control where I could. So when my hair started to fall out, what I actually did was donate my hair to charity. So Sarah pulled my hair into a ponytail and she cut that ponytail and we donated it to charity. And it was a way for me to really acknowledge that moment yeah. um, and do something positive in that moment and know that a little girl would be running around with this long, blonde, beautiful hair that had come from me. And it was a way of doing something empowering when I felt so powerless. And you talk around your sister a lot. So it's very difficult, I'm sure, for you to have gone through that, but for your family to also in one day for their lives to turn around. Were they so positive and were they looking at everything from the same lens you were? Yeah, I mean, I'm so blessed that I have my sister and my mum and my dad and they've been on that journey with me from the very beginning. And mm -hmm. we really did have to be such a unit for each other because it was such an isolating experience. And the speed at which it happened was, as I say, overnight, I was hospitalised and we had to get used to this new normal of protective isolation and distancing and safety. And, you know, if there was any sign that they might be unwell, they couldn't come and visit me. So it was very extreme and we had to get to grips with it really quickly. And I think, you know, all of those things kind of make a little bit more sense now because of COVID. And yes. You're a little bit used to it, but I think we forget when we first had to do it, it was very uncomfortable. Mm. And I was in a position once during COVID where someone told me they had some terrible news and 
you just had to watch them cry from afar. Mm. And that's really hard because you feel completely helpless in that moment. But what's interesting to me is, you know, you talk around manifestation, you talk about affirmations. And like you said, 10 years ago, I didn't really know about those kind no. of things. Were you someone that was always practicing these methods? I think so, but without consciously knowing that's what I was doing. Um, and in the early days as well, when I was still relatively healthy, I would keep a journal and every day I would type on my laptop. And again, it was the way of making sense of what was happening, mm. you know, going from a 23 year old, 23 year old to going to a bedridden, bald, uh, complete of loss of independence. It was really challenging. So that moment of writing or typing into my journal of processing what was happening, mm -hmm. of carving out a space digitally that was mine was really powerful for me. Um, and no one told me to do that. It was just something I felt that would help me mm -hmm. with the months and, and weeks that lay ahead. And how will you manage, how did the doctors manage your expectations? Because I've heard you talk around your survival rate. Yes, yeah, so I didn't know it at the time, but I only had a 20% chance of survival. So it was, I think, a case of just telling me what I needed to know at that time um, to not scare me, but wow. let me deal with what I had to deal with. So actually, before all of this even happened, I was phobic of needles. You know, I'd go for a blood test and pass out. And it was something that was really challenging for me. So, you know, you put me now in a hospital environment and they had to insert something called a Hickman line, which is plastic tubing into your chest cavity where the tubes hang out so they can insert the chemotherapy without having to, you know, use your arms as a pincushion every time. So going from <laughs> being phobic of needles to having tubing hanging out my chest very quickly, mm. I just had to get to grips with things. There was no, there was no time for... Um, delay was just deal with it. And so that mindset of just confronting things, accepting things as they were was really critical um, and just not spiraling because it, you know you go one of two ways I think in these scenarios, but I took an approach of radical acceptance of what was happening to me, which helped me deal with it and it empowered me. Um, so journaling was something that was really helpful. Curating my hospital room as well, because, you know, I was sat in this bed for weeks at a time looking at that white wall. So something I did was put posters on my wall to look at, to remind me of the world that would be beyond my hospital once I got better. So one poster was of New York that I had, and one poster was of the Caribbean, and we can talk about the significance of those in a bit, but they were very powerful beacons of hope for me at a time when I couldn't see or do or look at anything else. What's crazy to me is you mentioned around that 20% statistic. Yes. And I think the hardest part to hear the story is you didn't know at the time, right? Which yes. Is, which is a good thing, I guess, because it. what would that do? That would obviously make someone panic and when someone has spoken to me about this and said, you know, this person only has X percent chance to live, I don't know if this is right, but I always say you can change the, the statistic. Absolutely. You. you can be that change. Yeah. So where there was a 20% chance of survival, maybe you'll make it 21%. Yeah. And I always say in that situation that statistics can be changed. Of course. And if they can be changed, then you have to believe that you are the change. Because either you believe you're in that that statistic yeah believe it or not yeah 
And if it's quite low, the only hope you have is, I'm going to change that. Yeah. And I don't know if it's right. I don't know if <laughs> But for me, I just feel like that gives someone a glimmer of hope that they're yeah. going to be okay. Because in that moment, if you don't have the control of your mindset, you don't have the control of anything. Absolutely. Because I think a lot of the time with health, it's about not giving up. Mm. And when you do feel like you're giving up in your mind, your body gives up. Absolutely. And what's really powerful to me is at such a young age, you were able to manage that. Yeah. You know, how were you able to manage that? I think on one level, I was so distraught that I couldn't finish my law degree. And I had a job lined up. So I was so upset that that was being taken away from me, right. that it actually became a focus for me, that I was going to get better and I was going to go back to law school and start my career. So in the early days as well, what I did was <laughs> I bought a Nordic walker, like cross trainer, yeah. and I had it in my hospital room and a yoga mat. So even when I was connected to an IV pump, they were always pumping drugs or ivy or whatever it was into my body I would work out on the Nordic cross trainer to keep active and keep moving and then with my yoga mat I would lay it out by the side of my bed and again when I'm still hooked up to an IV machine I would just sit on the mat and you know try and reach for my toes and I remember one of the nurses walking past and thinking I had fallen out of bed because you don't see patients on the floor um, but I was like no no it's fine I'm just you know trying to do a bit of yoga here and any opportunity I had to convince myself that I'd be okay and would be healthy because it was such a disconnect in my mind. I felt like my old self, in inverted commas, fit and healthy. But of course, my body had completely changed. But doing those small acts of movement was just trying to connect the dots that, you know, my body would catch up again and I would be able to move again. So any opportunity to move and get out of the hospital bed, I, I would, absolutely. Before we started recording, I was talking about, you know, people go to Oxford, in my opinion, from meeting them, they're a completely different breed. <laughs> now I see you, because you're exactly what, I, exactly what I mean. Someone who was so eager to finish their law degree, I remember crying so much <laughs> the days before my exams. I would do anything, I would have done anything to, I wanted to run away at one point. I just thought, let me run away. <laughs> Eat it, but the fact that you were so eager to finish and mm. there was almost a target for you yeah. about why you couldn't give up, and that wasn't to anyone else, it was a promise to yourself, it's just so inspiring to hear. And so, tell me what happened after that then. So, you started the chemotherapy, what were the effects on you? Yeah, so chemotherapy was stage one, then it was total body irradiation, which sounds as scary as, as it is, okay. um, and then a stem cell transplant. and. What essentially that did was rid my body of the cancer. So I was okay. cured of the cancer, which was amazing. From the chemo? Yes. Okay. Um, and then it's the collateral damage of what that does to the body. Okay. And one of the main side effects was my skin. And it became very sensitive, very reactive, would shed and fall away like a snake. And that was because the skin was repopulating like it does in infancy. And one of the things I had to have after treatment was those childhood um, immunity injections again. So the body was like re like a reset button had been pressed and was starting again. So coming through that and seeing my skin shed and fall away fall away was you know really distressing and, and really hard. And so I turned to my sister Sarah, who worked in the industry at the time, 
and was trying to find skincare that would help my skin. And it was really challenging. 10 years ago, the market isn't like it is today. And many natural skincare ranges would make my skin flare up. And so Sarah, being the kind creative soul that she is, started to make natural formulas for me and would bring them to the hospital for me to use and try. And it was you know, amazing to see. They were really restorative of my skin and really helped that microbiome and that skin health improve over time. So it was very much just a passion project for Sarah, informed by her time in industry, uh, her research, her, her travel, nothing more than that other than just trying to help me at the time. And you know, how lucky am I to have such a creative, intelligent yeah. sister that can make skincare that, you know, was really transformative for me. And how old was she at the time? Just a couple of years older than me. Oh my gosh, so she was making this skincare. Yes. And where was she making it? At home, at the kitchen table. No way. Yeah. So she would source the best organic cold-pressed plant oils that she could find knowing that plant oils are packed with omegas and vitamins and, you know, that, that vital nourishment that our skin needs. And she did all that research to find that out. Yeah. And was this after she gave you the stem cell treatment? Around the same time, yeah. Around the same oh time. Oh, my God. So does it impact? Did it impact her in any way? In, in, in terms of taking the stem cells? Yeah. yeah, I think it was about a five-hour process for Sarah where she was hooked up to some machinery that was filtering her blood and then siphoning off those stem cells for me. And then the same day they were given to me um, and that transplant happened the same day. So I think a very intense emotional experience for Sarah, mm. knowing what was at stake of saving my life. Um, so yeah, it, it's very much a journey we've been on together. And a fun quirk of this has been that my blood type has changed to that of Sarah now because of the transplant and wow. growing up our parents would dress us the same like like little twins because we were so close in age and now we're as close to being twins as you can possibly be without being biologically twins so That's it's cool. very much a journey we've been on together and Sarah you know saving my life and saving my skin I'm, I'm really blessed to have her that's for sure. And so while she was kind of with the stem cell treatment, is there any side effects for her? Are there any side effects? No, no. No, okay, fine. So she didn't suffer with anything, which is why she was able to kind of create this oil for you. And for you, were there any side effects post the stem cell treatment? Yeah, many, many, many side effects. Um, I was vomiting every day for about three months. I had shingles. I had fevers. It just, the list goes on and on and on. It's, it's, Brutal, absolutely brutal, the collateral damage, yeah. And when did you start to feel a bit okay? Uh, two years, yeah, two years from that first diagnosis was, I feel like I'm, a, I'm past the inpatient, outpatient episode and I'm now getting my life back. And that's when I went back to law school. I knew you were gonna say that. And you were like, okay, I went to, I went, I went to law school. Went, that's the complete opposite thing I'm gonna do. But that's amazing. So after two years, they cleared you. Yeah, yeah. So you are completely yeah. cancer-free? Yes. Amazing. Yeah. How miraculous is that? And then did they tell you you had the 20% survival rate? I don't know exactly what point I heard that, but um, yeah, I just, I was so hell-bent on getting back the life that I wanted to have that nothing was going to stop me. You know, 
all of the collateral damage that happened afterwards. It's just, okay, I'll get through this and then there'll be the next thing. Okay, get through that and then the next thing. And just constantly, I could see the little improvements over time and my strength would get back slowly over time. But yeah, it was a very long, long journey uh, and very isolating journey. It's so inspiring to me because you, you know, when you came in here today, I was sitting, I was having a bad day. And I was thinking, oh God, <laughs> I'm just having such a terrible day. This has happened, this has happened, this has happened. And sometimes I think for everyone, you are consumed by your thoughts mm. today. And often it's nothing, but you are feeling really low and you are feeling like, you know, everything is going wrong and I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know where I'm going and what is the purpose? And I think for you, what I'm hearing is not only did you have those posters, which I know are of <laughs> of New York and the Caribbean, but you also had a purpose in terms of your law degree to get out. Yeah. And I think so many of us don't have a purpose. So when we are having a bad day, mm. we just think everything is terrible because everything is going wrong and everything's going bad. But when you think about, okay, but going forward, this is what I want to achieve and this is what I want to do. Yeah. It brings you back and it realizes that it's only a little dent in this overall picture that you have. But with you, I just think, how do you manage bad days now? Obviously, you probably refer back to that experience and think nothing can be as worse as going through all of those days. Actually, my question should be, during those days where you're having all of these different illnesses and everything was going on, what made you kind of push through your mindset? Because as much as purpose is really important, I'm sure there were days that you wanted to give up. I was blessed that I had such a loving family and Sarah and my mum and my dad, that that unit around me of support, it was invaluable. And I'm so blessed that I had them to support me, literally. You know, I couldn't get up the stairs by myself. I couldn't sit up in a chair by myself. I couldn't prepare food. So I was completely dependent on my family to help support me, but there was a lot I could do for myself mentally. Mm. And one of the things I did was raise money for charity to support the ward that saved my life in hospital. And again, I was always looking for ways that would make an impact or to give back or just something bigger than just me in that moment. And we managed to raise 60,000 pounds for the charity to support a student at UCL Cancer Institute to find a better cure for the type of cancer that I had. So there's so much generosity and there is so much love and support and it was it just blew my mind that people would they'd never heard of me never met me but was so touched by the campaign that they wanted to support so for me it was just looking for ways to connect um, and just to make an impact so I'm really proud that we were able to, to do something positive and I think people hearing your story will realize how inspiring you are and how mentally strong you are and I hope that people take away from this is that when you are going through something there's always hope absolutely and when you are going through something the thing that you should focus on is your purpose yeah because that's what will get you through but I want to talk about the day you were told you could leave the hospital because I can imagine for you, someone you said you were very independent <laughs> and you felt like a bit claustrophobic probably in that Yeah, room. absolutely. How did you feel that day? There wasn't one single day. It was uh, constantly back and forth. So even once I finally was able to not go, you know, every week to the hospital, mm -hmm. and even when I started work, I still had to go back to the hospital because of the collateral damage. And one of the uh, procedures I had to have was... Um, 
they essentially had to take a pint of blood out of me every few weeks because I had had so many blood transfusions. The amount of ferritin, the iron in my body had, had built up. So I had to go, I think it was about every six weeks for a few months to have a pint of blood taken out um, to bring my ferritin levels down. So there was no clear line when it just mm. stopped and it just was something I had to live with even when I started to work. So um, yeah, it was just gradually it petered down, petered down until it was just every few months and then you know twice a year and now thank God only once a year that I have to go back. So. It's very much been a slow, slow process. You're so determined. So you went to, you've went back to do your law degree. Yes. How long did that take you? Did you have to do the whole year again? Thankfully or? not, no. So I could just pick up where I left off and then it was just a few months and I finished, yeah. So you just had to do your exams? Yes. Which I'm sure you got 100% in. <laughs> I can tell that already. I'm literally like, you probably just walked in, didn't have to revise and just had to do them. I wish, no, my <laughs> body was still really, really weak at that time. I. You know, I've been bedridden for so long that just even walking down the street at home took many weeks and months to build up that physical strength mm -hmm. again. So again, it was really incremental to get back to a place where I had the physical stamina and the mental stamina to concentrate because of one of the effects of all of that treatment was chemo brain, where your brain is quite literally in a fog and I couldn't concentrate. And I would just stare at the wall at the end of my bed because I was just, you know, so doped up with so many drugs that I couldn't really concentrate. So one of the things we did to sort of help get my mental faculties back was I would read children's books in the hospital. So mum and Sarah, one day, I remember vividly going to Daunt Books in, in Marylebone, coming back to the hospital with like children's books for me to read. And it was such a sense of achievement when I finished them wow. because I could focus again. And again, it was that incremental development again of, okay, children's books tick um, yeah. onto the next and, you know, building up again. It's amazing you finished your law degree just after everything you've been through to then have the, like you said, build yourself up again to study and then to pass yeah. and then to get a corporate job. So where were you working? So I was working in the city in London. Yeah. Which company? Uh, Cleary Gottlieb. Okay, I haven't heard of them. But tell me how you got that that application. So you already had the job lined up, actually. So That's right. You. Yes. So you had the job lined up. So how long did it take you to finish the law degree? It was just a few months because yeah. I was into my second year. Yeah. Okay. And then you went to work straight away. Yes. Yeah. And did they know of your condition? Yeah, yeah, they did, yeah. And so they were very understanding if you had to go to the hospital yes. and everything. Because in corporate law, I know you have to work very, very long hours. You do, yeah. And was that true for you as well? Yes, yeah. And how did you cope? Well, I really wanted to do it. I think when you want to do something, it doesn't feel a chore. No. It's, I'm finally here, you know, I'm doing it. And I've started the career that I wanted to do. So, um, yeah, it was, it was great. I was and finally there. And then how did you transition into making Vicera? It's a, it's a journey. So I started yep, my career in London and then had the opportunity to move overseas. Wow. And New York was one of the options that was on the table. And as you may remember, New York was one of those posters in my hospital room. So I made a really compelling case as to why um, I'd be a great fit for that office and was absolutely delighted when they said, yep, you, you've got that rotation. So oh 
I was in New York for six months and um, yeah, it was fantastic to be in a city that was so vibrant and I learned so much. And again, it was that sense of independence and adventure that I hadn't had for those two years when I was sort of locked away dealing with cancer, that it was a thrill to, to be able to have that experience and came back to London and still had that sort of wanderlust within me. So thought, where can I go next to practice law, um, but somewhere else? So the Caribbean came up. Um, the British Virgin Islands is where you can practice as an English qualified lawyer. So I thought, that's where I'll go. And that was the second poster that I had on my wall of, you know, just a very typical Caribbean scene with a, ha a hammock, palm tree, you know, beautiful ocean and thought, where better to you know, really experience a different way of living. Um, and so I was fortunate enough to uh, be flown out for interview and, and I got the job and I thought, amazing, you know, I'm literally living a dream here that this is even possible. So packed up my life into three suitcases um, and off I went to, to the British Virgin Islands and thought, you know, life can't get much better than this after everything that I had been through to you know, be so um, surrounded with nature and mm. to be warm and yes. um, just be in a really positive environment until Group 5 hurricane hit the island in 2017, Hurricane Irma, right. when I was on the island. So I was sheltering in a house when the hurricane hit. So there were winds of over 200, sorry, 180 miles an hour that shook the house I was in, had to shelter in what was essentially a cloakroom bathroom for 10 hours as the storm just ripped the windows, the doors, everything smashed and was rolling around inside the house like Lego, not knowing whether I was gonna survive this. So eventually the storm passed, but of course, all communication was down, no satellite, no way to communicate to my family that I was alive and, you know, okay, unscathed. Um, so it was five days until I was eventually rescued and evacuated off the island. Uh, and it was that that brought me back to the UK. So in that moment, you know, I was really heartbroken that that life that I had dreamed of had gone. And... I remember vividly talking to Sarah thinking, you know, what do we do next? Where do I go from here? And in the years prior, the skincare formulas that Sarah had developed, we were just sharing them with friends and family, but not thinking too much about it. And then we just thought, you know, why not now? This is the perfect time, quite literally the perfect storm yeah. of let's quit the corporate day jobs and let's give it a go. And with Sarah's expertise and the opportunity that she saw, we just thought, let's go, let's give it a go. So we launched by Sarah London at the end of 2017, beginning of 2018, mm -hmm. and we haven't looked back since. And it really is the chapter I never saw coming. I never thought that I'd be an entrepreneur, but I wouldn't change it for the world. And it's it's given me so much joy and so much pleasure and passion to see others enjoy our skincare and those that have really sensitive skin whether it's rosacea or, or eczema mm. to come through and share their reviews and their emails and say it's really transformed their skin and their emotional well-being and their mental health because 
I know what it's like when your skin is compromised and it's not just physical, you know, it does affect you. Mm. So to see the impact that we're making as, as sisters, as female founders, um, you know, it's, it's deeply rewarding. And that is so inspiring. And, you know, like you said, you would know how it feels to be in that position yes. where you're feeling, whether it's insecure, you're feeling uncomfortable, you're feeling unhappy yeah. because of the way that you look. And helping someone else to yeah. transform that after you've been through that transformation is amazing, yeah. right? Because you know exactly how that person's going to feel after it. But, you know, what's interesting to me is when we spoke, I asked if you have any offices. And you said your work is virtual. Yeah. But you started your company before the pandemic. <laughs> so talk to me about that decision. The decision to be virtual. Yeah. Um, out of necessity, there was just no need to have an office right away. So it was just a great way to work just be remote and then as we scale the team we can meet in person when we need to yeah. and it's it's really worked for us and how do you create an environment in which your team are happy virtually because i know a lot of companies are struggling with that at the moment and i think when you've had a in-person office and then you're going from mm -hmm. virtual space and then you're kind of doing a hybrid it makes it harder so from your perspective, how has that been? Because you've always been virtual. Yeah, so it's just having great communication. So regular Zooms, using Slack. Mm. And then when you are together, having really mean, meaningful experiences, whether it's a really good meal yeah. or doing something that's not just a meeting mm. um, and taking the time to get to know one another. Because as you say, with everything being so virtual, mm -hmm. it's harder to build that sort of social interaction. So yeah, we just take the time just to chill a little bit more, I guess, than just having a meeting and cracking on with work. And emotional wellness is a topic I think um, a lot of people are trying to incorporate into their work. Yeah. And I wanted to talk to you about my sponsor Hypes. So Heights are smart supplements. They, you just need to take two in the morning mm -hmm. and they essentially help with your brain care. So I think a lot of us neglect our brains and we don't really talk about brain health. Mm. And I started taking these about five weeks ago and they have transformed everything for me. I used to wake up about four or five times in the night and oh. I sleep through the night. They give me a lot of energy, they give me a lot of focus and they're actually packed with 20 minerals, vitamins and antioxidants. So they're really great, I hope you do try them. Thank you. And they've really helped me actually with some of those times where I just feel like everything's a bit much and by creating a routine where I yeah. know I'm looking after myself. So you know, for me, I always just try and practice something for like a 30 days. So I said to myself at the start of September, I'm just gonna take two in the morning and see if it helps. And I was feeling so burnt out. Mm. I wouldn't say my schedule has changed, but I'm feeling much less burnt out at the moment and I'm feeling much more focused. So let me know if you try these. Thank you. Um, but I wanna talk about your packaging. So Sarah, didn't, did Sarah have a background in packaging? No. Or marketing? So her background yeah. is in, in brand and comms. So I think with our, our by Sarah London skincare is really trying to bring across that joy, that empowerment, um, and keeping skincare really simple and easy to use because it can be really overwhelming, particularly if you have sensitive skin, Definitely. knowing what products to use, who to turn to. So we've, have, we've got a really curated approach to skincare. So um, our organic, our hero facial oil is our bestseller. That's yeah. the original formulation that Sarah developed for me. And it's gone on to win the best facial oil award for four years in a row. Um, it's been featured on this morning, which was amazing to see it on the television. We yeah. were just jumping for joy. Um, yeah, and our customers love it as well. So it really does pack a punch. 
Um, and it's a it's a really beautiful product. I've been using it for a couple of days at night, and it really is so great. Great. But I'm I think what you mentioned there is how skincare can be really complicated. Yes. And I'm one of those people who really doesn't have a routine. I mean, I'll try any product, and I don't have sensitive skin, so it's quite easy for me. Yeah. But I still find it quite difficult when I see you choose a serum and an exfoliator and an eye cream, and I'm just like a moisturizer and then an oil, and I'm like, I don't, I don't know what to do, but I actually found on your website, it was quite simple, and the instructions that came with the oils, it was just, this is three steps. Exactly. And if you don't want to use this one step, then don't worry about it, like the mist. You're like, if you don't want to use that in the morning or in the evening, and you just want to use the oil, then that's fine. And if you use the mist, then you don't have to use a moisturizer. So I was like, okay, that makes it much simpler for me. Yes. So I think simplicity is really important, especially in this world where everything is so complicated. But, you know, it seems like you have a very good relationship with your sister. Yeah, we're, we're really close. Are there ever times where you fight or you have a different sort of opinion and you have to manage that? I think we're blessed in that we are so similar yet different. So I think we're that perfect mix of the left brain, right brain. So we know each other's strengths and weaknesses. And so thankfully we don't lock heads, which is really, really helpful. Um, so yeah, I think we don't really disagree that much. We were very direct with one another. And I think that's a benefit of being co-founders and being siblings in that we can be so direct and there's no need to sort of fluff things up. It's yes, that works, that doesn't work. And you know, we can move quickly as a result. And what's the aim with By Sarah London? So the aim is for millions of people to feel confident and comfortable in their skin. And we'd love that Hero Facial Oil to be in every household across the UK. You know, it really is a beautiful blend. And it comes back to that founding story of just really making people feel comfort confident and comfortable in their own skin. Definitely, and I think you will reach that. And I often find, and I, I'm not sure if you find this, but when you're starting a company, it feels so big and scary. Mm -hmm. And then when you're kind of one year into it, two years into it, I mean, you guys are four years yes. into it. Do you ever feel you compare yourself in terms of where you should be or where you want to be? That's a great question. I think you can probably tell by now I'm quite goal orientated. Um, so I think a learning for me as an entrepreneur is to definitely have that ambition. It's mm -hmm. so critical, but also patience mm -hmm. and that ability to see that incremental development, even though it might feel a bit slower, but you're still heading in the right direction. Like that's enough. Like. Yeah own that, enjoy that moment. So for me, it's balancing that ambition with the patience. It seems to me when we're, we're talking about like you're at the earlier part of this conversation, you're very much into vision boards if you don't know you're doing it and you're very <laughs> specific with a plan. Because when I asked you before we started recording, oh, you didn't want to do a law degree. You were like, it was my plan to do geography because you love that and yeah. then you wanted to do the law degree after. And it's interesting. I don't know if you've watched King Richard. Yes, yeah, it's my brilliant movie. I Phenomenal. watch the trailer every morning. Yeah. Because that trailer reminds me of manifestation, mm. to be specific, how you have to think for yourself, how you yeah. can achieve anything you want if you really just have a plan. And that's yeah. what I take from it. I don't know if it's true, but I definitely take that from it. What's your exact plan with By Sarah? Because I presume you have one. <laughs> well, I think with a, a startup business, you need a sense of direction, yeah. I would say, more than a concrete plan. Because a plan is only good as the context in which you're operating. We all know with Brexit and COVID, the world changes so quickly. Mm -hmm. So for us, it's having that sense of direction, but 
being nimble and being able to react Mm -hmm. is as valuable, if not more valuable than having a plan. Um, And it's that sense of agility that is actually really exciting in business because you you don't know what's going to happen, but you know what you're shooting for. And how did COVID affect your business? It was challenging. I think for us, it was finding ways to really step up and support our community. So something we did was, you know, we did a lot through masterclasses and and WhatsApp groups and trying to support our community with our beautiful skincare and, you know, creating that evening ritual to connect with your skin, take a moment for your skin. Um, That was really powerful. Something else we did was uh, we created a challenge, the Buy Sarah Ponytail Challenge, where we encouraged our community to keep growing their hair and then to donate it to charity, the Little Princess Trust. And it was a great way to bring people together at a time that was so challenging. And Sarah and I also donated our hair to the charity. So it was, again, trying to find something positive in what was so challenging for us all um, and just stepping up and, you know, really trying to be as helpful as we could be. I think your whole message throughout this podcast has been no matter how challenging something is, there's always something positive yes. that you can look at and you can focus on. Yeah. And no matter how many terrible things that are happening to you in your life, there's probably one thing that you can be in control of yes. that you can turn around. And I love that message. I think that's such a consistent theme throughout this whole mm. podcast and throughout your whole life <laughs> is that you've always found something in any part of any day that you can take control over and you can make into a positive thing yeah and I love that because I think so many of us just be are consumed with all the negative things that are happening and you know if you turn on the news at the moment I just look at it and I think oh my god I just would rather not know but actually sometimes taking looking at the news and then thinking what can I do to make a Mm. positive difference or how can I make a positive impact can maybe make you feel a little bit better yeah right it's not going to change the situation because unfortunately we don't have that circle of influence but contributing in a way in which you can positively can really help reframe your mind yeah so I love that and thank you for sharing that before we close we have a tradition on this podcast where we do a truth or a dare truth oh thank god <laughs> when, people, when people say dare I'm always like oh my what god next? I don't know what to say tell me about one of the times where you found it really hard to see a positive side to something um let's see I guess COVID to start with because we didn't know when that was going to end. You know, we didn't know what the world was going to look like after COVID. So that sense of not knowing, that sense of long uncertainty, mm-hmm. that was really challenging um, and challenging as a business owner and as a leader of how can you convey that sense of everything's going to be okay, but no one really knows if it's going to be okay. That was that was really hard. Um, and so in times like that, I, I really leaned into, for me, what is a really motivating mantra, which is live life as if everything is rigged in your favor. And it's something that I read quite a long time ago now. And I remember those, that quote just jumped off the pages at me and it really helps anchor me in moments like that where you don't know what's gonna happen. No one knows what's going to happen, but yet you still have to take a position and deal with it. And so knowing that it's rigged in your favors, okay, I've got this, I can make a plan and we can work through it. And so when times get really challenging, I tend to lean back on those those mantras, those affirmations and 
revisit my notes and my books and it gives me that sense to to push forward again so even when times are really difficult it's again a chance to reset and find a way forward and how do you reset it's taking time for me it's time to revisit my notes or just sit and do nothing and just Mm. see what what's really going on in my mind because there's so much chatter so So much I feel like I need to go away for like five days just by (laughs) myself and just be alone yeah because at the moment everything's all over the place and I'm like I need to organize it I don't understand it everything an idea will come into my head and I'll be like no 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 I can't do that but then I'm like no I can do that and it's all a bit muddled and I think often we don't value spending time alone And that's actually the most important thing for me, especially. But I love what you've just said. Everything is rigged in your favor. Yeah. How powerful. It's really powerful. I'm going to start thinking like that because I think subconsciously, so many of us probably think everything's not going in our favor. Like I was today, like, oh my God, everything (laughs) is so terrible. So many bad things are happening. But then what's interesting, one thing happened in which was really lucky. Actually, one in a billion chances something happened today. And I thought, oh my God, that's so lucky. That means for the rest of the day now, my, my day is going to go great. Yeah. And nothing has changed apart from the way I look at the day. Exactly. And I think that was really actually an important lesson for me today. And I was trying in the morning to be like, okay, one bad thing has happened, but then four bad things happened. Yeah. And then I was like, okay, one good thing could happen. And it did. And, you know, when I think something happens to you where you feel like you're lucky. Yeah. And I say this affirmation every day, I am so lucky and good things always happen to me. Yeah. And I feel that by saying I'm so lucky, I actually notice all the things in my mm. life that I'm so lucky to have. Yeah. And I'm so lucky to be a part of. And talking of that, I'm very happy that you came <laughs> to this podcast. And well, thank your you. Story because, you know, being so vulnerable and sharing what had happened, I'm sure it's difficult to revisit some of those moments. But I really appreciate it. And I'm sure you're going to inspire so many people. Thank you. Thanks for having me. No, thanks a lot. Hey, everyone. And thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Wherever you're listening or watching, if you could press the like, follow and subscribe button, it would mean the world to me.